0: what huh pass the mic it's late at night we in this bed trying to get hype what pass the mic pass the
1: mic what hey. <laughs> what up hey okay welcome back to pass the mic thank you for listening to the beautiful stylings of my voice we love it <laughs> all right so this is sonarima this is Diera. Um, and this week we are going to be talking about Latinx Heritage Month, and we have our creative color with us today, and their name is Aldo, and we're going to have Aldo introduce ourselves, and also our other guest.
2: Hi, my name is Aldo. I use he and they pronouns. Um, what do I say?
1: Anything about yourself? All
2: right, I'm a double major: civil engineering, vocal performance. I do poems uh yeah
1: we'll get more into your stuff (laughs) why don't you introduce yourself
3: i'm juliana colado i'm a sophomore here at um i am a prospective public policy major so fingers crossed on that one you got it (laughs) um i'm currently the undergraduate coordinator for latinx heritage month and also
1: the external director of la casa nice
0: thanks Mm.
1: Um, so we're gonna start with our creative of color so first thing we're gonna ask is for you to just talk a little bit about your work what Mm -hmm. it means to you and then we'll hear you perform yeah
2: Yeah. okay so yeah creatively as a performer I um I so I'm in school for vocal performance here um and so that's sort of an an interpretive medium that I express through and I think and it's generally like songs that are already written. And so that's maybe less of a creative outlet for me than poetry is. And poetry is served really for, as a creative outlet for me to like process what I'm going through, what I'm thinking in any given moment and sort of like the experiences that I go through.
0: And I know you, you talked about like writing poetry. We're gonna hear a little bit of it tonight. So besides like it helping you kind of like navigate what you're going through, what mm-hmm. else does poetry like function as for you? or How do you see it? functioning like within the poetic space because i know like academically Mm -hmm. poetry is different than like spoken word and like how i see poetry Mm -hmm. like going to a class and you're like look at this walt whitman piece Mm -hmm. (laughs) or you're like or like spoken words like how yeah yeah i definitely
2: i think i came at it from a couple different angles so like first i was like i was just like very goth and i was fucking heavy with like <laughs> yeah. um edgar Allan poe and mm. shit and that was like up until like junior year and then senior year of high school i started like i took your grade writing class and i like went to the neutral zone plug the neutral zone yeah. amazing place yeah. in yeah. for like youth art youth leadership in ann arbor mm. and so that's like in those places I got introduced to a lot of like living poets Mm. and I was doing more slam in those spaces. And Mm -hmm. so that was really, I think like the combination of both of those, I think definitely for me, just like living poets who are doing like, there's a lot of living poets who like came through the slam scene, but are doing Mm. really like academically interesting and very like page like page poetry Mm. specifically. So like, that's what I would, that's where I would draw the line. So like page poetry and spoken poetry that like, they can sort of blend together, but there's different, sometimes different goals and different, like, artistic things that will work in one medium, won't work in another as well. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I definitely, like, got my start through that. Um, And I think it's, like, brought me a lot of community and just, like, connecting to people and sort of, like, as I started reading more living poets, understanding, wow, there's, like, way more stories that can be told through poetry, and there's way more ways that poetry can look like and so, yeah, that was something that was really like empowering for me. Was when I, when I was like really, really getting into poetry. That mm-hmm. that was. Those are the big things for me.
1: All right, I think we want to hear you perform. We do. Same. So, yeah, if you could just say the title of your piece, any background you want to it. You also don't have to do that, um, and just go for it.
2: Okay. Yeah, so this, yeah, let me, let me talk about it as I find it. Um, so this one is called, I Name This Whole Body, Mine, Everywhere I Take It. Um, it's a really long title. I was reading a lot of Hanif Adirakib <laughs> at the time. And so I was, I was rocking with long titles. Um, <laughs> this was, this also ended up like the, the first line, the, the title of it ended up being the name of Pushing Night in Ann Arbor last year. And so the, the theme was like, I named this body mine, and talking about like reclamation and how that's very important because in, in a lot of slam spaces, people are pushed because like points and like people are going to score a poem about trauma or a poem that really hurts to read very highly. And so we were talking a lot about reclamation because that's something that's been, that's like really emphasized in the neutral zone, how they teach poetry or how we teach, I don't know. I'm like kind of moving away from the neutral zone because like last year i was still very much in it because mm. i was in high school and then i was the youth poet laureate so i was doing a lot of stuff mm. in the neutral zone all up in there and go on. <laughs> so um and then that's and then i was working with the um the poetry night in ann arbor yeah. and getting that to happen along with Annika love also an amazing poet goes to u of m she's in stamps Poet, rapper, extraordinaire, artist, amazing person. Also, uh, Lily Kajoski, um, who is at WCC. She does a lot of like journalism work and is also a dope ass poet. Um, so yeah, just like gotta gotta shout out. <laughs> anyway, I've yeah I've heard this poem like a lot. I like it. Um, <clears throat> I name this whole body mine everywhere I take it. Standing in the kitchen before dinner, and my dad gives me a talk about wearing my pick in my hair. Slicing through block of high-top spikes in power says my pick comes with a certain perception I should be wary of. The word black doesn't leave his lips but seeps through the air anyway. I'm beginning to unfold myself and learn my history. Looking through old photos, my dad has always stuck out. The only black man on his physics team, in his lecture hall, in our neighborhood. Abuelita told me this story, he skipped school to run around Havana with his white friend to a rich neighborhood, told like a warning like near death, like when he ate a hot coal when he was in third grade and the poison black ash painted his lungs. Like when I'm in third grade and we get pulled over for making a wrong turn on red and the memory looks too familiar now that I've seen it end with gunshots. But I must name this target body mine everywhere I take it. So I let my hair grow, my steps rock, bump music body hum loud, teach my scalp the static pop rhythm of my pick. I write Adole, Poddo, Pano, Gerard and Sharpie on my wrists and my neck. Punch out the dude saying, you should put that right here, pointing to my pick in his touch of gray ass beard. Swaddle away all the hands trying to pet me, rip off the locks, turn dreadful on white scalps. Bust open every prison cell, every handcuff, every godmother, every cop into compassion. Swaddle myself with belonging and besos. Abuelita cocinando arroz con frijoles. Tio Carlos on the grill. Tio Nesto showing us New York. Comiendo en la mesa, we tell our own stories. yoruba was never drained from our skin. We uninvent the shackle, the gun. I sing and taste home in the humming air, home in the four rooms of my heart. My veins, Euphrates, Congo, Nile, Mississippi, all feeding the hungry maw of the Atlantic, all flood-brown and rushing and alive. My my skin, (laughs) mi papa singing Guajira too loud Saturday night over friends and too much rum. Floorboards creaking under salsa swaying bodies. My whole body is woven with stories. Musa gives away enough gold to destabilize currencies. Afternoon paints gold onto all of my friends, playing half football in the fall withered field, all blowed and smiling and safe and alive. My pick does hold deadly perception, but walking down the street, it still feels like power and a little better than what are you and where are you from? And no, really, I may not know where my ancestors come from, but I feel less like an explanation Like an impurity, like a sum of fractions always just shy of whole. This feels like a nation wrapped up in the fist, crowned obsidian upon my head. My pick says one word: black.
0: Go the fuck off.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I think it applies to like Latinx History Month because, like, I'm Afro Latino. I'm Afro Cuban, and that's like it's a it's a part of it and sort of like yeah. navigating like okay yeah. i'm black also i'm latino like so my culture my like cultural heritage and what i grew up like in the house happening is different mm-hmm. but also i still look like this and mm. i still move through the world like right, this and right. so that also affects yeah. my experience and so i was writing about that also yeah. i my hair is not picked out right now because no, i've not good. been to the barber in like forever and so i lost my good pick like <laughs> a five minute ago. Oh, no. So I, like, sometimes picked it out, but it's, like, the really... It's the the plastic one. I'm just, like... It's cool. (laughs) Anyway.
0: Your
3: curls are still popping. Yeah, I just... I love the way that, like, poetry has been used to uplift communities, especially communities of color and that are marginalized. Like, especially, like, during the civil rights movement with Audre Lorde and just other black poets who... Like, Mm -hmm. poetry as a medium, like, you you can just, like, write poetry, and you can just, like, it doesn't have, you don't have to, like, buy it. You can, like,
4: spread it out on the streets Mm -hmm, and, like, mm -hmm. on paper. It's just, it's just like, a great way to express protest, but also, like, claim your own, I don't know, identity, and I just love
3: that.
0: Poetry for me is,
3: like you were saying, that's what I was asking, like,
0: what is it Mm -hmm. a function of? Because, like, for me, it is definitely, like, I have to write to get shit off my chest. Mm -hmm. And then also, too, like you were saying, I think it... in the political sphere or like talking about political things or whatever, just like things out of the like norm of what society is, is just like a great form to do Mm. that. I just feel for me, specifically like when it comes to detailing like queerness for me, like Mm. how that is for me. And for me, I only express that best through words and like Mm -hmm. poems. So I think that it functions really well for that, for me. To kind of just express something else that isn't based in like this structure, mm-hmm. you know, per se. That some different aspects of writing are more structured, or as poetry, you can kind of just like get the shit off your chest, you know.
2: Yeah. Okay, yeah, I have a very gay poem. Um, we so, love to see <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> we're about to about to pop up. There's there's another one cause it's like in the works, but it's not. It's fully not finished. So this is this is what we this is where we're getting into right now. Um, Yeah, to the kid who called me a fag in seventh grade, I barely even heard that shit. I hadn't even kissed a guy yet, just wanted to be held or belong to someone or suck some dick. The next year, I had a boyfriend out of convenience. I remember I spent the rest of seventh grade trying to feel more like a boy, like a fag, sifting through the whole medley of unsatisfactory words, trying on a muddy bowl of violence and screaming at walls. I never knew your name. And I've forgotten your face, and now you're the least articulate ghost, still whispering, or only when I do. Of course you were right, a phenomenal talent scout, my faggotry unrefined, yet you picked it from the rough. I dressed loud and messy, begging for eyes to come and play with me, call me all the names I wanted to try out, but you, fag, and all of its translations spilling from other mouths, a crystal of shame to lodge in my throat and shroud my ugly form, of course it had some echoes. And they molded in my footprints and on the edges of my skull and convinced me to take off my skinny jeans, put away my dress, wipe off my makeup and throw menswear over myself like a tarp. You used to be a person, then everything rotted away but the sound. Now I dress for power and pleasure. I walk in the room and people draw the necessary conclusions. I gush about men and music. I feel a little bit more like myself. Some of my soul is you. Your minerals are in the fingernails painted purple and scratching me bare. I moan and melt into the echoes, become the breeze, blow some other fag. Mm. Uh,
4: yes! <laughs> yes!
0: <laughs> you have to come right. on our career, oh, I'm sorry. So yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just so gay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that
2: made me happy. I'm just not. Yeah. I'm gonna go sit right here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. Okay, yeah, I like, cause recently or er, like this summer, I started like actually like wearing skirts and shit, wearing dresses, and whatnot. Cause like that's always something I'd have been Like, oh, I wish men's fashion was different so I could wear all this. And I was like, wait a minute, who gonna be my ass? Okay. <laughs> and yeah. truly, the question, the check question, me, the, the, And so yeah, we're out here.
0: I'm I'm so sorry. (laughs) I'm excited. Whenever anything like I just love unfiltered like queerness and like Mm -hmm. this idea of like fuck fucking society. I'm Mm -hmm. gonna do what I want and be who I want. And if you have a problem with it, you can go, suck Mm -hmm. me. I just love it. (laughs) So yeah, that's why I'm going off and going up. (laughs)
1: um thank you so much so so much for being on this episode um thank you for those words thank you for having me honestly beautiful um we will put aldo's handle in our bio in case you want to get in contact about poetry with them um and if you have any questions feel free to email us um or dm if I don't know
2: if mm. we're going to do that,
1: but we're, we may do that. You just check the bio, and, and all the info will be there.
2: Can I plug something, like, real, real yeah, quick? Yes, plug okay, everything. So, um, uh, I, me and some friends in the music school, or, like, in SMTD, are starting an org or kind of like restarting it, but it's called uh, the Black Leaders and Arts Collective. What? And so what um, trying? we're trying to connect uh, black students in SMTD and stamps or just like generally like black students in like academic art forms type things. So like film would definitely y'all should pull up. Um so yeah we have uh, we have Instagram, we're like we have Twitter, we're starting, yeah, we're just starting up there's like been different groups like this before, mm-hmm. but they've kind of like died out. And so we're just like, this is definitely a really s- necessary space mm-hmm. if for like academic support for, and like just like emotional like community support for like black artists. And so, yeah, yeah oh God, um, that's that's something we're doing. Yes. Also buy my book. Um, oh, <laughs> it's at,
3: <laughs> it's right. at, um, it's a at Literati.
2: Like... Uh, it's okay. called uh, Self Portraits Mixed Media. Uh, it has both the poems that I read today, also more poems. It was yeah, it was part of like me like the youth poet laureate thing, and so yeah. We're have gonna a have a field yeah. trip there. We will, and we're gonna all we buy your gonna
1: book oh and put one on the mic desk probably. Right. Um, no, anyway, hang it up. It's fall break. Let's go this week. Yeah, we're gonna do it. Okay, okay, cool. We'll just we'll send you, you a nice picture. And be yeah. Like, Sick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with our own copy. Um, okay. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yes. Um, all that information is going to be available to everyone. Please buy their book, Buy, um, follow the Instagram. But now we're going to segue into our episode, which is Latinx Heritage Month, um, and we're going to actually pass the mic over to Inez, and yeah. she's going to take over.
4: Hey guys, it is Ines here. I am the audio engineer for Pass the Mic. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And I'm a sophomore in performing arts technology. And today we are talking about Latinx Heritage Month and more broadly Latinx identity and what it means to be Latinx. Something about me is that I am Mexican. I'm a first generation, immigrant. Both of my parents are from Mexico City. And with me, you guys already know, is Jules, who is the Undergraduate Coordinator for Latinx Heritage Month and also the External Director for La Casa. Welcome, Jules. Thanks. I'm glad that I could be a part of this. So let's just get into some run-of-the-mill identity questions. Um, So... What do you wish you learned about Latinx history? Mm, that's
3: a good question. I'm actually in my first Latinx history course this year as a sophomore. I never learned about it in my K-12 education. Yeah. We, and when I was in APUSH my junior year, we talked about the Texas Mexican-American War like when all those states in the Southwest ended up being a part of the United States. But even that, there's stuff missing from that story. So, I don't know. I think, in general, I wish that in our K-12 curriculums, there was a better job of bringing up and surfacing the stories of people from around the world, specifically from their perspective. Like, the way that we learn history is so Western-focused, so so white man focused, if you will, like <laughs> the people that literally wrote the history books and everything. So I wish that there was just like a surface level of things because this is the first time I'm learning about the Brown Berets. I learned about the United Farm Workers last semester, like all of that type of stuff That's I think is so important in empowering the individual, I didn't know until I got to college, which is crazy and oppressive, honestly. <laughs>
4: What course is it that you're taking?
3: I'm taking Intro to Latina Latino Studies this semester, and I'm also taking Latina Latino Studies 313, which is Cuban and Stira- Diaspora, which is important to me because so I'm cool. Cuban. And it's talking about how the Cuban Revolution affected like the rest of the world, specifically America, because of how many people came to America as yeah. a result, and how the island looks completely different because of it. But yeah, it's powerful. Like Just learning your history learning about where you came from, why you're here, what people did, what governments did to get you here right. is important. And yeah,
4: what governments tried to do to keep you away from here yeah. too. It's mm-hmm. like, it's crazy. Yeah. I like, I feel sometimes shame about not knowing enough, which is like, obviously it's not all my fault because I was never taught, but at the same time, like I could be, do- I always feel like I could be doing more. Like whenever I'm with my parents, I literally just always am like, so how's Mexico doing like nowadays? Like, cause I know the really broad idea of how Mexico is doing or like how it got to this place, but I've never been like actually educated on like the timeline of events and like what actually led them to be mm-hmm. like this. It's just like really overwhelming to think like, where do I begin? The way we were taught here about how Latin America, but specifically whatever country you're from, like how it came to be, if you were taught in America, you were learning about American history. So it's like, well, history of the United States more specifically, but mm-hmm. it's a lot to handle mm-hmm. thinking about what you need like, to do to get this education. Mm-hmm.
3: But that's why I think the generational part of it is so important. Like being able to have access to your parents but also being able to have access to older students and other people in your life because once they have that knowledge it's so important that it gets passed on to you and that you can pass it on to the next generation just because like that empowerment that we're missing when we're growing up from learning our own history is something that hopefully we can hand down into the next generations of people and like it's definitely something I'm aware of as I like, go into adulthood and consider taking on mentees or having children and all of that it's
4: important yeah kind of I kind of wanted to segue this into another question that we have which is like this could either be about history or about identity but like what is something that you had learned that you would wish you'd known earlier about Mm -hmm. either yourself or like where you're from or maybe what your parents had taught you how they had taught you so what do you think is something that like might have helped you further understand your history or your identity? Mm-hmm. I think, honestly, it comes in pieces. Like, it comes in little
3: itty-bitty pieces that kind of, like, shatter everything. It's like, it's like throwing a pebble in a window, you know? Yeah. It's like then everything starts to fall out. And I think as I've gotten older, I've tried to dig more into my, like, where I come from, my ancestry. Like, find out about my grandparents what they did to get here, what their experience was like before they got here, once they got here, and I think each time I've just thought to myself in that reflective way, like, why, why didn't I ask this sooner? How didn't I know this sooner? Yeah. All of that, and I think it is the familial part that is what's, like, frustrating in that way. It's, like, how can I know all this other random, seemingly unimportant or, like, relatively unimportant information, and then not know something about someone that's like one generation from me you know um so I think that's the biggest part is like I have a direct connection to these people and there's so much that I don't know like both of my grandparents that came from Cuba died when I was like 12 years old and that's like young like I think when you think of 12 years in general you're like oh that's like not that long of a time or whatever it is a long time whatever but when you're thinking about like how long you've been on earth 12 is young so like all the pieces that I've gotten since then I'm just like wow like I
4: wish I I wish I had more time with them you know yeah it's it's difficult to think like at least for me with my grandparents um, I do speak Spanish but it's not to the point in which I'm like Gonna be able to comfortably hold like mm-hmm. a, a steady conversation, and it's like because I'm like insecure about how I sound and stuff, which is like a whole another story. Yeah, but, like, um, like it, it kind of makes me sad how there's so much our ancestors know. Well, mm-hmm. not even ancestors. I'm talking about my grandma. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so much. There's so much that they know, and like so much, so many stories that they mm-hmm. have. I, I wish I could be able to just like fully get all of this out of her but also it's Mm -hmm. it's just difficult but yeah it's crazy
3: it's funny that you said that about like language because I've heard I've always been insecure that like I didn't grow up bilingual Mm -hmm. and as I've come to college and like surfaced that insecurity and been more open about it I find more and more people saying that like that even even if they are like bilingual or whatever it is they still have that comparison to their parents or their I grandparents like that. that they're like it's still like a huge drop off it's so I like think about I I keep tying this to, like my family in the future but like I think about that too when I'm raising my kids like how can I intentionally bring my culture to them when we're here like in the United States we're out of our context in so many ways how do we fight against like the systems that weed the culture out of us like yeah. the language it's everything
4: totally it's also like just the something that i kind of grew up with being that my family is basically the only one of my my family that moved out of mexico mm-hmm. that left mexico and um they everyone all of my cousins all of my family for the most part they live in mexico and like even though I love them so much and their family and they love me and I know that whatever, like whatever it is, like however I might sound or stuff like that, like they're still going to love me. But like mm-hmm. when I speak Spanish, I just like, I have so much like trauma of like all of my cousins calling me like gringa. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. it's like of just how I sound. And it's like, obviously I'm going to sound different. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't grow up in Mexico city. Like it's not only just the ability to not have like a American accent or whatever you might call it, but also just like the dialects. Like they speak differently. Mm-hmm. Like also this this cons- this construct in me of like that I have definitely tried to deconstruct in my ma- brain mm-hmm. and like try to separate myself from, but like the the feeling of not being Mexican enough or not mm-hmm. being Latinx dependent on your ability to speak the language. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I know growing up, not only I would judge myself for, but I would judge other people mm-hmm. for. Like I remember being younger and being like hanging out with this girl who was from um who was also Mexican from Texas, but her parents were not for like not mm-hmm. immigrants. They had been born in America and they didn't teach her Spanish and she didn't speak it. And I remember like having this like kind of distaste being like how do you not know Spanish, you're Mexican, like, obviously, I would never tell her this. But then I was like, thinking, like, that doesn't qualify mm-hmm. anything. Like, you're still gonna face the same things. Mm-hmm. And like, as you can see somebody like me, who does know how to speak Spanish, like, it's not like, I feel com- like it's not like I feel completely comfortable in between the two cultures, mm-hmm. like, I still struggle with my Latinx identity, regardless of how I speak, or how I don't speak. So mm-hmm. it's just so complicated Mm -hmm. and it's like interesting how something like language, which can be completely separated from any type of culture is so intertwined Mm -hmm. with like, especially if you are an immigrant Mm -hmm. or not an immigrant, but like a person of color, basically, Mm -hmm. yeah. Was there ever a time in which you felt anger or sadness about being not taught Spanish? Mm -hmm.
3: I think for me, part of it is like as I see the next generation of my family coming like I have a little baby niece that's about to be two in December and she's learning Spanish like from she her nanny is Colombian because both my my brother and my sister-in-law work full-time so she has like a babysitter and she's like singing all the songs learning words like she knows like the parts of the body and all of that and I'm just like That's a skill I've had to work for, like, to try and hone. And I I feel like I'm this close to being bilingual, like, being fluent. And still, like, there's such a big gap when I speak to people that are fluent in Spanish. So there is, like, that little piece of jealousy of my two-year-old niece, which sounds so silly, but it's, like, real. I think the most evident part for me growing up has been it's hard for people to grapple with the idea that you can be black and Latinx Mm -hmm. so like people have said to me like well you're not really black though Mm -hmm. or like well well like you're just Cuban or uh, the other way around like well you're not really Latinx like you're black that type of thing and it's so interesting and it was hard for me to navigate because you're both like you can be both you shouldn't have to pick and that sense of like Feeling like I'm both but neither at the same time, which is so hard. Um, especially because to the world, you look a certain way. Like we look other. So to have people within my own community to be like, Well, you're other because of this or that, and list all the reasons that you don't fit in that box is like hard to grapple with. Like, I'm supposed to be able to come home to you and you're telling me
4: I don't fit here. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think also, like, the idea of, like, generations, like, I constantly think about, like, how am I going to teach my kids Spanish? Like, what am I going to do to be able to pass this on? Because it's something that is so heavily connected to the way I grew up Mm -hmm. and, like, affected basically just so much of my upbringing is based on, like, my speaking Spanish at home and then Mm -hmm. going to school and speaking English and like people making fun of the way I pronounce like almond because Mm -hmm. I heard it a different way Mm -hmm. from my parents my whole life and like just little things like that I I fear because it's like I know I spoke Spanish because my parents they grew up like they English is their second language Mm. as it is mine but it's It's for them, like, they were never speaking two languages at home. It was always just Spanish, and then they learned English. And, like, Mm -hmm. so they, they, it wasn't even an idea of them of, like, oh, so we got to teach them Spanish. Like, no, they were going to talk to me in Spanish, and then I was going to have to learn English wherever the fuck I learned English. Mm -hmm. So it just, I find myself thinking about these, like, ridiculous hypotheticals, like, okay, so I got to marry a Mexican guy. I got to marry someone who speaks Spanish, like, regardless, like, just a Spanish-speaking person. Or, okay, I got to move to Mexico City and live there for a little bit and, like, get them acquainted to the language. Also, this whole thing, this is a very specific me problem, but, like, um, in Mexico, something about the dates. Like, I was born in the United States, but I am a Mexican citizen as well because... I was able to do that and get both passports, but starting and starting at 1999 before I was born, the year I was born, they made that so it's not possible anymore. So my sister, if she has kids, she was born in 98. She can get them both American and Mexican passports, but I can't. And it doesn't really affect me all the time, but like for some reason, I'm just like so messed up about it because I'm like, okay, I gotta go, I guess I gotta go give birth in Mexico or I gotta marry a Mexican person. I gotta, like, I just, so many loopholes that I have to, like, that I'm thinking about, like, too soon. Like, I don't know Mm -hmm. why I'm thinking about, like, my future child's paperwork Mm -hmm. this early on and also, like, why that even matters if they have a Mexican passport or not, but it's just something, like, this thing I don't want to lose that I'm so afraid of losing. (laughs) It's just something that's scary to me.
3: But at the same time, that's, like, really powerful. Like, that's beautiful because think about think about the generations that came before us. Like, I know in my grandparents' generation, they, they were thinking about how are we going to assimilate into America? Not all of them, but for so many it was, like, we're actually n- not going to embrace our culture because we want you to be, like, good Americans and have the opportunities here yeah. that it's, like, so powerful to see like how far we've come there's definitely a lot of work to be done still but that people feel
4: empowered to hold on to that piece of them i feel like as a as um even just a person of color like it's like a lot of work and like duty to like maintain Your culture and like so easily can slip away, I feel like sometimes, or at least that's how we feel. It's just something that can so easily just be erased that it's like it takes a lot of strength to like maintain it. Have you always been aware of your Latinx identity? I think in a lot of ways, yes. I
3: remember in the third grade, we did a heritage project and we made our own like paper dolls and we got to decorate them. And I asked both my parents, like, where our family's from. And my mom is technically, like, German, but they've been here for a long time. And that part of her has kind of been, like, weaned out. It's been, like, more Americanized. But my dad was like, "I'm we're Cuban, Jewels. Like, here's this, here's that. And I was, like, so drawn to that for some reason. And I just remember, like, being so excited about that. I was like nine years old I guess like realizing <laughs> for the first time um but even like looking back I just know that that was something my dad and my my mom too even though it's not directly tied to her wanted us to keep yeah So like I remember my mom teaching me how to make the recipes even though they're not like <laughs> native to her once once my grandma died like because she wanted me to have that like to have that connection because like I think my biggest connection honestly to Cuba is the food that I know how to make because like I know I know a lot of the music too but the food has been like the most like physical connection that I've had Um, and I think that's probably been what's kept me aware is like knowing when I was little that we were visiting Abuela and we were gonna get the food and that she's gonna bring out like her pot and her little mallet and, like, grind everything and show me. Um, So, like, I think in that sense, I've always been aware, like, of my surroundings. This is what you're going into. But I think in other senses, like, in the political sense, I haven't been, like. Right. I'm trying to even think of an example. But, like, I just remember when all this stuff was happening with Black Lives Matter, I was so, like, tied to that and so invested in that. Um, and I don't know if it was, like, the social media aspect of it or what it was that it was, like, seemed more visual, but I remember being, like, so tied to that, like, activism, but I think in a lot of ways, like, my Latinx activism has come about more in college, like, grown more in college, if that makes sense, which is, like, an interesting division, I guess. Yeah.
4: For me, identity, I I kind of always knew, but I never really knew the implications of what that, was and how that w- would like translate into my life until I really got into like I can't pin a date on it but it was definitely like with the food thing like I feel like most people have their like most vivid memories of mm-hmm. being Latinx through food mm-hmm. and like cuisine like but it can be positive or negative like just sometimes, what my mom would make me for lunch mm-hmm. or, like, what she... Like, the leftovers and people would be like, "What? what is that? And mm-hmm. I would be, like, scared. That's just, like, the classic. But mm-hmm. also just... All of the food is just... It brings so much comfort. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, knowing about... Like, my abuelas milanesas and all of these... Like, just... They're, they're like, these staples mm-hmm. that just, like... They stick with you and you know, like... They don't even... I don't even feel like sometimes they don't even have to be technically like Latinx food, but it's just like the whole memory of being around mm-hmm. it. Literally today, it's it's parents weekend, guys. I don't know if you know this, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, my parents were here and they were so <laughs> hyped to be here. But like um, my dad, he literally brought on the plane chiltepines, which yeah. are these tiny little dried chili things literally the size of like your fingernail and he made salsa for me in my like kitchen and I was just sitting there just like this is so sweet Mm -hmm. like it was just like why am I tearing up Nah, like but it was just like having that and like now I have a jar with me it's really nice to just have that memory with you it's nice that's
3: real though like Especially that's something so tangible, like your sense of like smell and your sense of taste that's mm-hmm. involved, even like touch, like if you were involved in actually making it, like mm-hmm. having something
4: tangible like that is so real. Food is an amazing thing. Mm-hmm. It's like so important yeah. for like, obviously sustenance, but mm-hmm. like also just mm-hmm. like having like the values that come with it and stuff. Mm-hmm. What do you love about being Latinx? Mm. That's a hard one,
3: because yeah. it's, like, not not really one answer. Yeah. I think it's knowing you have the support of, like, your, like, f- like direct family community, mm. your, like, nation, like, wherever you come from, but also, like, the broader community. I know there are, like, little rivalries that are, like, <laughs> historically relevant or whatever Classic, it is. The classics. Yeah, but, like, <laughs> at the end of the day, like, bro, like we eat the same stuff or like like listen to the same It's like we're all eating beans and rice. Like deal with it. Listen to the same music, wear a lot of the same clothes. Like so much of it's the same. We all speak the same language. Yeah. There might be, I know people make fun of like the Caribbean accent or whatever it is. Like they're like little things that separate us. But for the most part, like knowing that you can get all of us together and we can speak about something and everyone will know like what we're talking about is beautiful. Like that's big and powerful and
4: amazing. It's so good. Like what you were saying about like um, family and like this family unit that I think is like, it's obviously not going to be the same for everyone because everyone's family situations are different. But at least in a lot of like the, the, tradition and the um, emphasis on family and like unity is so Mm -hmm. big and it's like I think that's why La Casa is so like unifying is because we all have this like idea of like even if it's not your blood like Mm -hmm. just like having these people like it's just you rely so much on them it's very dependent but it's not like in a negative way like that's just how we were raised we were raised to always feel like we had someone Mm -hmm. and like that With my family, that's very big, but we're also very, like, close. Mm -hmm. Um, Just that they are the most important people. Here, when you're 18, you're on your own. Mm -hmm. Like, you leave. Like, people in families don't live close to each other. And, like, they all separate. And it's, like, obviously there's, it's really important to, like, go your own way and, like, find Mm -hmm. your own path. But it's, like, so different. Like, in Mexico, people don't leave for college. They go to college in the city and or they' if they're rich, they go to college internationally, but they always come back. Like it's and in Mexico City, all of my family, they live in like pretty much the same neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Maybe no one's like maybe 30 minutes away from another. And like that's everyone. like that's cousins, grandma, aunts, uncles. Mm-hmm. like they're all so close. And it's something that like, that's how my parents grew up, and now that they're here, it's just, like, when, when me and my sister left for college, my mom was devastated, like, Mm -hmm. she couldn't, it just was crazy for her to have to adjust to this, that, like, obviously, it was going to be the best for me and my sister, like, even, my sister's still in New York State, she's, like, a few hours away, like, on bus, so it's, Mm -hmm. like, it wasn't that intense, Mm -hmm. but, like, with me, I, like, take a plane, that, like, really, like, knocked her off her feet basically Mm -hmm. i i find that something that i value so much about being latinx Mm -hmm. just like this importance on family yeah
3: it's something to lean on especially like you were saying like even when you're away from home even when you like should be de-centered or whatever it is Mm -hmm. like you have this space to go to like yeah and that's something we try and like teach the freshmen when they come in like we picked up our alma participants that came in on airplanes at the airport and they're like I'm so surprised you came like is this too much of a burden and it's like no like Mm. this yeah like you're you're a part of the family now like this is what you do for each other like Mm. I don't know I feel like there's some so many more examples of that like you need you need help studying with an exam you need books you need whatever it is you put it in the chat and it's like all these people answering like I got you like
4: Yeah, Mm -hmm. you always have someone to lean on. It's Mm -hmm. so nice. Thank you, Jules, so Mm -hmm. much for coming. Um, Do you mind telling us a little bit about the rest of Latinx Heritage Month and what you might have planned and how that all works out? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we have a couple more weeks here of LHM
3: 2019. Our closing ceremony is going to be on October 23rd. It's a Wednesday. We'll be at the Michigan League. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is just going to be a celebration. We had a big program a few weeks ago when we opened with Silvia Mendez as our keynote speaker. And we kind of just wanted to take time to celebrate us yeah. and just listen to music, dance. We'll have all sorts of things set up if you're not interested in dancing, but we just really want it to be about the fun and about being together. Yeah. Um, but the rest of the month, if you want, like, the daily updates, you can follow us on Instagram. Um, we're Mish. Mm. and they'll post daily updates. There are videos of the people hosting events, so you can get a little bit more context of what they're about versus just looking at the calendar. Other than that, we have a few more weeks, and we're excited for what's left. So La Casa is the central Latinx organization on campus. And we advocate on behalf of all Latinx people on the University of Michigan campus. That goes from undergraduate students, graduate students, staff, faculty, you name it. Like, We're doing something to support them. If people want to get involved, the easiest thing to do is email lacasa.board at umich.edu. And they'll get added to receive our emails. Um, And then the most regular thing that we do is meet on Thursdays starting at 7 p.m., every week is probably going to be a different location, so <laughs> it,
4: that piece won't be as helpful. It's always a fun day being like, where am I going today? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's always something. Um,
3: we're trying to do things that cater to the community so people are open to ideas. If people have project ideas, we're open to that. We're, we're trying new things to become a more holistic organization. We already do a lot of work, but just to keep growing so that if there's a hole we can fill it
1: and make everyone feel as supported as possible Mm -hmm. all right so thank you jules and thank you inez this is uh our latinx heritage month episode and we are dropping every monday which so we have weekly podcasts so don't forget to follow us on spotify rate us on also Spotify probably, yes. but also Apple Podcasts, <laughs> um, and you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and <laughs> then share it. Share, Tell please your share friends, <laughs> your grandmothers, your mothers, um, everyone, your whole family. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and our next episode will be a feature on Indian classical music, where we will feature some students from Michigan Sahana, which is the Indian classical music and dance organization on campus, and that'll drop next Monday stay tuned in a couple weeks we're gonna talk about queerness which i'm really
0: excited to do but yeah that's what we got
1: sweet thanks subscribe rate and don't forget to pass the mic